0: of all a garden it's not it's a train station really one flight up and you're on the fabled parquet floor now before you get all misty-eyed about the parquet take a closer look all right everybody let's try this again this is the banners broadcast the official podcast of celticsblog.com coming to you all the way from the center of the basketball world right now. I am Bobby Manning, your host every week here, Wednesdays on Celtics Blog and CLNS Radio, featuring a rotating cast of our great, skilled, exceptional writers over at Celtics Blog. First week we had Jeff Clark and Jared Weiss. Today... It's Mr. Sean Penny. He's one of our writers over at Celtics Blog, as well as a writer over at Bosox Injection covering the Red Sox. So he's got two sides of Boston covered. Welcome aboard the broadcast, Sean.
1: Thanks a lot. Happy to be here and happy to be a Celtics fan right now.
0: Yeah, so first thing I'll ask you is, where were you yesterday when the big news hit? And, of course, everything got reeled back in from there. Gordon Hayward, we had the report from Haynes that he chose the Celtics. His agent stepped in and said, that's not the case. So we had a little five-hour panic period where it was 4th of July. You know, we were trying to enjoy it as best we could, but... Hayward didn't help us five hours right there, keeping us waiting, said he didn't have his decision made. And then, of course, he kind of confirmed our suspicion that it was the Celtics after all. Yeah,
1: I was heading back from uh, vacation down the Cape for the weekend and it was just constantly having to check in for updates. Where are we with this? And is this really happening? Uh, we had all been waiting forward for the, the 4th of July fireworks, and it kind of seemed for a little while that maybe we shot the fireworks off a little prematurely. <laughs> it, it all worked out in the end, and it was just a little bit of a a timing issue with some information that leaked out a little too early and kind of caused Hayward's camp to to be a little ticked off by that oh, which is it fandom. would
0: have been a bad day today it would have been a very sad day in celtics history period if that leak caused hayward to turn around and his his decision just seemed so close so tortured as wojnarowski called it that, that i could have seen him being so upset by that leak that he turned around and went back to utah and that would have been devastating but he's here and we have interesting news now Ever since, of course, they need to shed a little bit of salary to squeeze his uh, contract in here he 's going to be making twenty seven million next year um, one hundred and twenty eight million over the length of the four years, but they got to shed some salary they 've got to get up to that amount to pay him that max contract and according to reports they 're shopping. Jay Crowder, Avery Bradley, as well as Marcus Smart to see who could, they could get the most for. And according to Woj right now, it sounds like Jay Crowder might be the guy to go. Jay Crowder might be heading over to Utah. <sighs> this is my question right now. Ever since Hayward, the whole Hayward discussion began after that game against the Jazz. All the Celtics fans wanted him, of course. It just started this fire within Jay Crowder. Do you think the Crowder situation at this point is just... Irreparable, repairable and he just feels so damaged by the signing that they almost have to send him out
1: i think he's probably the most likely candidate just in terms of his minutes are probably going to be affected the most by hayward's arrival as well as jalen brown and tatum needing minutes as well uh so you can see how his role could be reduced and that's why he's upset and got upset when Celtics fans were cheering for Gordon Hayward when he came to Boston last season. So from that perspective, you can see it, but he's also one of the best value contracts in the league. So they're not just going to dump him just to get rid of his salary and clear space. They're not sending him to Utah on a sign and trade that gets nothing else back. And that's kind of what's being floated around out there right now is if we're just going to do Utah, this huge favor and say, here's Jake Crowder for free, just because we feel bad that we stole your best player. That that's not going to happen.
0: Well, when it comes to the cap, you've got to keep an eye on Ryan Bernadoni, and he's suggesting right now that it could be Hayward, <laughs> Rodney Hood, Dante Exum for Crowder and Roger. That seems That seems a little excessive from Utah's end, but who knows? Maybe they like Crowder, maybe they like that contract. If they could get even more pieces out of this, and end up shipping Crowder over there that's going to ease the damage of Crowder leaving for me cuz I am a big Crowder guy I love him but we'll get to that debate at the end of the show in our roundtable what we're going to talk about right now is the summer league you know we got baseball flowing around we got not much else besides that so I've been watching a lot of summer league especially the Celtics and got to say what a great job the NBA has done no other league really has this where after the excitement of the draft the hype of these big prospects you get to see these guys literally two weeks after they get drafted by the team. we have Jason Tatum out there, we get Jalen Brown back on the court. Uh, Ante Zizek's finally over here. We'd even have Yabusole if it wasn't for his surgery. Uh, you told me you haven't watched a lot, but what's kind of your biggest takeaway out of these first two summer league games the Celtics have played?
1: Well, I got to catch a little bit of the uh, second half tonight because the Red Sox were in a rain delay. So I, I saw, uh, unfortunately they, they, to the Spurs tonight, which is something that a lot of teams get used to in this <laughs> league. But it's so fun to see the young guys out there. This is the summer leagues, our first chance to see guys like Tatum in a Celtics uniform. And he's played great so far. I think he had 19 points tonight. 23. Uh, 23. Okay. And he threw down a couple of nice dunks. It's just exciting to be able to see these young guys get out there. And as far as the win-loss result, I don't put any stock in that, just like I don't put any stock in the preseason games. But it's, it's just exciting for the fans to be able to, to see these guys in game action, get some of the, the younger guys that are really going to be the core of the future uh, some reps together just to, to build some chemistry.
0: No doubt. I love what Jason Tatum has brought. I've been big on Tatum since the day he came here, and what he's showing us, of course, in the summer league isn't indicative of what he's going to do in the regular season once he's going against those better lineups, more tight rotations, better players overall. You can just say it like that. But I really love the idea this guy, as polished as he is, going out there and attacking those second units. He just looks so spry out there. You see him sidestep and hit those threes. He had a game winner a la Paul Pierce in that first summer league game. And if we're going to put stocks in wins or losses in the summer league, I'll, I'll take a stock in the game winner. That's, that's one thing I'll put a little bit of stock in, being able to go out there in those final seconds and hit that big shot. We talked a little bit on the last uh, week's episode of what Tatum's future could be. What do you see his first-year role being with this team?
1: Well, I think the biggest takeaway we can see from Summer League is just how comfortable he is out there and his ability to score in a variety of different ways. And it's not something you can just throw him in the starting lineup against the the best guys in the league and have him do that, but coming in in a more of a limited role to start out, kind of like Brown did last year, having him play against opposing bench units, he's a guy that you can turn to to... Uh, Get some baskets for you uh, off the bench when your stars are resting. And I think that's a part of his game that it can adapt relatively quickly at the NBA level.
0: It's going to be interesting seeing him out there. Brown as well. If Brown just looks so spry, maneuvering around the basket. It's it been amazing seeing him just go to work out there. And that's what we see with these second-year guys when they come into the league. First year, they're getting their feet wet a little bit in the summer league. Second year, they just look great to body the competition out there. Tonight, he wasn't as explosive, but in the first game against um, – I forget who they were playing, it doesn't really matter, but he just, he went off in that game, he was throwing it down, he looked good, throwing alley-oops to Tatum, running through the lane there, he was even hitting his threes, and you know, he's good at those step-in threes, not so much the side-step threes like I talked about with Tatum, but seeing Brown be able to shoot at all is just so... um, such a good sign, I'll say, because he's going to be commanding more minutes this year. I feel like he's going to be a bigger part of the team's plan. It just feels like they're really trying to push these young guys out there. Um, what are you expecting from Brown? What do you want to see him improve upon in his year, too?
1: Well, that's the, the thing with Brown that can kind of make or break whether or not he develops into a star is if he can be a consistent outside shooter. You, you mentioned in the first game he, he drained some threes. And then tonight we saw him miss a couple of wide open shots. Yeah. And that's kind of indicative of what he did through, during the season. And have a month where he was lights out and then all of a sudden he's shooting sub 30 percent for a few weeks in a row. So Getting a bit more consistency with that, especially when he's playing with a lot more star power around him. He's going to get open looks and he needs to be able to prove that he can consistently knock those down and at least enough so that opposing defenses have to respect it.
0: One thing I've noticed about him, too, and this is this is probably what they really saw in him when they fell in love with him before last year's draft, is just that athleticism, his explosion going to the basket, his ability to run the floor, make passes in the open floor. He he just – I don't want to say it because it's going to set off a fury, but he almost kind of has this Michael Jordan body to him, the tall huh? length at the two. Yeah, I don't want to go Tommy Heinsohn <laughs> right now, but – the difference between him and Jordan, of course, is the skill. Jordan had a inarguable skill, the dribble moves, the passing ability, the ball control. He could lead an offense. Brown right now looks like a mess on the ball. That's probably his biggest weakness is his ball control. He had a ton of turnovers in the first game and did again tonight. But his athleticism, his body, there are some shades of, you know, I, I kind of want to find a better, more comparable player than Jordan because there's never going to be another Michael Jordan. But he, he kind of has that mold at the shooting guard position, and we saw him play a lot of that position this year, too. Yeah,
1: and he, like you said, he doesn't have the, the ball handling skills to to really make an impact in that regard but he has the athleticism to get to the hoop you can throw up alley oops to him that's an aspect that a lot of the celtics players don't have that he they don't have that type of athleticism and if he can develop more of his shooting touch from the outside that's just going to open up more space for him to be able to, to use that athleticism to drive by people and get to the hoop.
0: Yeah, and he's going to be able to get a lot of opportunity at key situations last year. They were calling on him during... The rest of the guys are also interesting in some regard because of course they're placing their future in Brown, Tatum, those future picks, they're really holding on tight to those when it comes to trade negotiations. But they have to rebuild their bench a little bit next year too, and that's gonna be interesting to watch because it looks like Kelly Olenek's out the door. He provided big bench scoring for them. Marcus Smart, he's kind of in a flux right now. He could be a guy who goes out the door. They're shopping his name. He probably has some value out on the open market. I'm against it, but like I I said, we'll get to that conversation later. Uh, And other guys, too. Jarepko's gone. Amir Johnson's gone. He was a valuable rotation piece. Um, Gerald Green very well might be gone. So there wasn't a good amount of this bench. Who do you see out of this group? Uh, Abdel Nader, Ante Zizek, Eh, I can't get this guy's name right. <laughs> Semi-Ogele. I think that's how you say it. Let's just Semi. Yeah, sem- we'll go with the first name. I don't I don't like to do that, but I'll do it with him. Better than butchering the last name. Which one of those guys do you see being able to make an impact? Even Bird. We got a Bird on the Celtics. Imagine that.
1: <laughs> well, I, I think uh, obviously the the younger guys like Brown and Tatum are, g- are going to get a good amount of minutes off the bench. But I think we could see guys like Zizek build a, a role just in part because the Celtics are a little bit thin up front, at least right now. We'll see what kind of veterans they can add in around that. Uh, but there's definitely, based on the construction of the roster right now, you can see how an opportunity could open up for him. As far as the, the bench in general, I, I think the way that it is right now, and this, of course, depends on which one of those three guys we've talked about could potentially be shipped out uh to clear caps space but our bench is really young right now so i think we still need to bring in a, a veteran on like the mid level exception or whatever we can do to to bring in veterans to to kind of bolster that because we can't rely on just youth off the bench Mm
0: -hmm. i'm still trying to figure out what exactly that mid level exception number is i think it depends on what their final salary number is going to be is what they can bring a guy in for that i think it's probably going to range from about four million to eight million dollars somewhere in that range i think you probably could pull gerald green back in for a number like that on a one-year deal but they definitely do need one guy to come back and be that veteran presence Abdel Nader excites me a lot, and he's excited me, a lot of Celtics fans, with his summer league play these last two years. You can't really put a ton of stock in that, nor can you put... A ton of stock in his D-League Rookie of the Year announcement. But just watching what he does out there on the court, I like it a lot. He's always got his head down, charging toward the basket. He's got a nice left-hand finish. His touch, in general, around the paint area looks really good. I think he's going to be a little one-dimensional offensively. I don't think he brings a lot of defense to the table, but... Uh, that offense, I think he's that kind of guy who can bring you maybe 8 to 12 on a good night off the bench, which isn't a bad thing ever.
1: He could essentially be Gerald Green's replacement (laughs) then.
0: Except the three-point shooting. I I don't love his three-point stroke, but the guy definitely has a confidence, a chip on his shoulder, it looks like. He kind of plays with a little bit of intensity out there, which if they're going to be sending out a guy like Jay Crowder, I'd love to see more of those guys. Someone was saying on Twitter that, you know, when we see Bradley, Smart, Crowder, those guys go – that's going to be the end of that Celtics hustle era. I kind of do want to see, even though they're going more of a skilled direction with better talent on the floor, I still kind of want to see that hustle, that intensity, that tough, gritty play that they showed in their earlier years still be represented out there.
1: Yeah, and I think they'll, ha- they'll retain some of that. Uh, I think some of the younger guys have some of that in them, and I don't think we're going to end up, giving away all three of those guys, either Crowder, Smart, Bradley. One of them will end up being here for the long run, I would think. We're not going to get rid of all of them. So, so we'll still have some of that identity with us.
0: No doubt. We're going to get to this conversation a little bit at the end of the show in our roundtable. Who are the Celtics going to give up? they get got a clear space right now. They have to get rid of quite a bit of salary at the bottom of their roster. They still haven't rescinded. Kelly Olynyk's cap hold. So that definitely brings an interesting proposition to the table that we'll get to, like I said before, at the end of the show. It looks like they might be going the sign-and-trade route with Utah to dump that salary, give the Jazz a little bit of a reward for losing Hayward, maybe get a little bit back ourselves for the losses we're going to incur. So that could be a good situation for both teams, and we're going to keep an eye on it in case anything breaks during this broadcast tonight. You're with the Banners broadcast right now, and we're going to get to our third topic. It's a hot topic in Celtics land right now. Every offseason, we kind of think we're going to get some clarity on where the Celtics direction is headed. And it's clear, they have one foot in the win-now mode. They have one foot in the future mode, and they're holding on to those future pieces tight. They weren't going to give up any of them for Paul George. I don't think they're going to give up any of their young guys and most valuable picks for anything right now, short of Anthony Davis, which we all kind of dream about a little bit. But do you think there's any flaw in this plan to have one foot in and one foot out? Do you think it takes away from each side a little bit, or do you think they can be concurrently done in a successful way?
1: I think there's always the potential that it could backfire just because there's a lot of uncertainty about what, what you'll get out of those future assets, how the young guys will develop, what those future draft picks will bring, as they currently stand, they're they're still not the favorites to win a title now. So it's not like they're really all in. Uh, whereas if they had gone for somebody like Paul George or Jimmy Butler, or one of those guys, then maybe they they'd be right up there with the the Cavs and Warriors of the league. So they are staying at a level where they can contend in the East have a sh- legitimate shot at the finals now that Hayward's on board. And, you know, you never know what's going to happen out West. Maybe maybe somebody gives the Warriors a tougher fight next year and it takes them longer to get to the finals. And, you know, it won't necessarily be them coasting through everybody. So, you know, if you can put yourself in the conversation, you have a chance. So they're, they're lined up pretty well to be in that position. But by retaining the... Assets they have like the Brooklyn pick and whether it's the Lakers or the Kings pick that they got from Philadelphia, those are some of their assets that they're going to use to hopefully join their younger core uh, to keep contending and kind of build something like what San Antonio's built, where they can be in contention for you know twenty years.
0: Yeah, you. that is something they really seem to be modeling themselves after from a coaching standpoint. From an organizational standpoint, Is that constant good structure between the coach, between upper management, between the ownership. Even the style of play, the heavy passing, the very sound offense that gets guys good shots. Some of the bench guys they've been able to get impact from. It's very Spurs-esque. And it does seem like that building plan does seem to model the Spurs, just a little bit. I don't know if you saw that video the Ringer put out of the East versus the West. It was ridiculous. <laughs> just uh, You had the East, it was just LeBron Haywood walking through a garden all peaceful. Then in the West, you got Millsap, Butler, uh, Doc Rivers, all just in a war zone, smashing into each other, going crazy. It was, I can't even dis- do it justice describing it. You're going to have to go watch it for yourself. But that's that's kind of the situation the Celtics find themselves in. They've bought themselves a little bit of good fortune being in the east because if they were in the west right now they might very well be in that full-scale rebuild mode but in the east they've been able to put themselves at the top level of competition i think hayward the big thing hayward does is separate them from that middle pack they were in with the raptors with the wizards those kind of teams before we get to our round table what Is the exact impact of Hayward's arrival going to be, do you think? I know one of their biggest issues overall was shot making. The numbers show that against Cleveland, if they hit more shots they would have been in better contention in that uh, series. They bought themselves a bunch of open shots with their passing, but they just couldn't hit them when they got there. Is it going to be as simple as Hayward can just hit more shots than some of these other guys could? I think that's part
1: of it, but there's a lot more that Hayward brings to the table than that. He's a he's a great spot-up shooter. They can hit 40% or so from, from three-point range, so playing off the ball next to Isaiah, I think he'll get some good open looks there. But he's also... Uh, very good in the pick and roll. So whether Isaiah is playing off the ball or if he's resting and having his minutes staggered with Hayward, then you could run the offense through Hayward and he can run the pick and roll. Uh, He's also, I I read something that said that Hayward was one of the best in the league and transition points. And that's something you never would have guessed because Utah wasn't a transition team. They were the slowest paced team by far.
0: Mm, That's a good sign.
1: Just just on a percentage basis, he was ranked in, uh, I believe, the 90th percentile in the league. So imagine how many more of those transition baskets he can get now playing with the Celtics team that's average pace and has some youth and athleticism to run with them.
0: Yeah, even if they throw him at the four a little bit, I don't think that's something we've seen out of Hayward a lot in his career. But he's 6'8", he's quick, he's agile, he can get out to the three-point line at a high rate. He's going to be able to take advantage of some fours, I feel like, especially if Crowder's out the door, as he might be. There's going to be some onus on Hayward to play a little bit of four in those small ball sets, and that's going to be a big question with him too is whether he's able to take on that challenge on both ends of the floor of playing the four. At the three, we know he's going to get his. That's where he's been successful his whole career. My big question with Hayward is, like you said, Utah played that slow mellowed down, almost old-school system with Hill, with Gobert, with those guys out there. Just a very old-school style of game, very slow. He was able to work his way up to 22 points per game in that system. And all the analysts will tell you the shots, the shot, select, the shot uh, amounts were spread very evenly among all those players out there. There's going to be way more shots at Hayward's disposal now. There's going to be way more possessions with the pace the Celtics play at. I want to see how big of a jump he can take, because we know he's one of the better scorers in the league. But I still think the question is, is Hayward a true superstar? Isaiah was able to ha- answer that in the Celtics' system, taking full advantage of how much power it gave him. I think Hayward himself is going to be able to really prove he's one of the better players in the league. I think we know that already, but he's going to be able to prove he's a superstar, maybe, with the opportunities he's going to get in this system.
1: The great thing about Hayward is that he's uh, one of the top scorers. He averaged almost 22 points a game last year, but he did it on less than 16 shots. He's very efficient. He can shoot threes. He gets the free-throw line a lot. As a secondary scorer besides Isaiah Thomas... I I think that he can be a, an all-star for sure in the depleted East. So I, I see no reason why he can't uh take a similar leap to what Isaiah did when he came here.
0: Yep, as uh people have pointed out too, Hayward's the only player in the NBA who has increased his scoring output for 6 straight seasons now. Hopefully he can do it for a 7th with the Celtics. There is fallout on it though. They have to get rid of a player. On the top of their roster, and it's an interesting situation, Sean. They have to shed only five hundred thousand dollars, which is kind of ridiculous. When you think of Avery Bradley, when you think of Crowder, when you think of Smart, how valuable they are. The notion of dumping one of those guys for no return just to get five hundred thousand dollars a Skype, oh, no, I got Skype in my head. Five hundred thousand dollars a cap seems kind of ridiculous. So the Celtics are getting a little bit creative, it seems like. They might want to go the sign-and-trade route with Utah. They might want to trade to a team that has a smaller uh, player making less money that they can take that money back, still clear $500,000, but have a valuable player to put in his place. Utah does seem to make a lot of sense because... They want some pieces back. They just lost their franchise cornerstone. It would be good for them after the free agency flurry just went by, for them to be able to improve a little bit, get some future pieces. But the guy they choose is a very big question for the Celtics right now. Avery Bradley has been a key part of their offense and their defense for years now. Marcus Smart, there's just so much untapped potential that I feel like giving up on him is a tough thing to do. It's, I'm, I'm very intrigued at why he's even out there in conversations because I don't think trading him's a very good idea at all with how young he is, with him being a restricted free agent, with the price tag they're probably going to be able to keep him at. Crowder's is the big question right now. Where does he go in that rotation now that Hayward's here? Is he even going to be happy, period, that Hayward's here? Like I asked you already if Crowder might be that guy at the beginning of the show, but does Crowder make the most sense just strictly from the standpoint that he has a lot of years left on his deal and that might be appealing to a team like Utah? Is there anything in particular on Utah that you'd like to see the Celtics get back?
1: Well, I think Crowder makes sense as a candidate to trade only because of how he'll react to having his role changed, but... I don't think that he's a guy that you trade just because of that if you're not going to get fair value in return. He's got one of the best value contracts in the league, Mm -hmm. and I think some team, not necessarily Utah, would give up something of value to get a player like Crowder. So there's no reason to send Crowder to Utah just for a mediocre return when we could shop him around the league and get something much better than what Utah can offer.
0: Yeah, it's it's very interesting because if they're able to get Key pieces back for Crowder. That's going to be a saving grace for me because I've been so gun ho about Crowder. I said it earlier in the show. I almost feel like he's been disrespected in a Celtics uniform. And I don't mean to get all sanctimonious about it, I don't like to do that. But he has been a very good player here. Even back pointed out. Some of his stat lines last year were better than Hayward's. He shot a higher percentage from three. He knocked he, They may be open shots, but what more can you ask of a guy than to knock down those open shots? He's played for a ton when that's a very... Bruising position to throw a small forward into he did it all through the postseason he battled back early from several injuries I I still remember that first game I ever saw him play in a Celtics uniform I didn't know who he was after they gone back from the rondo trade I don't think many people did but he was out there diving for loose balls Going crazy on defense running out in transition just running nonstop. Something you didn't see from a lot of Celtics players back then in an era where the guys who were on the Celtics didn't want to be there on such a stage He kind of was a turning point for the franchise, and you don't manage your roster based on sanctimony, but don't you think from a fan standpoint that fans should be showing him a little bit more respect considering what he's done for the team?
1: Yeah, and honestly, I don't see the fans wanting to have Gordon Hayward on the team as a sign of disrespect to Jay Crowder. They just wanted another all-star on the team. It's not necessarily, let's get rid of Jay Crowder. Uh, I think that's just kind of how he took it when the fans were were cheering for Hayward last season. Uh, but th- there's a lot of options in front of them. Like I said, I don't think they're just going to dump a guy like Crowder yeah. for, for less than what he's worth mm-hmm. because they could easily shop him around the, the league for a much better return. I think everything you're hearing about a sign and trade is coming from the Utah side. And the Celtics have zero incentive to do that when they could easily shed salary other ways.
0: Unless they get back some of those key pieces on Utah. Rodney Hood's a player I really like um, on that end. I know Gordon Hayward, not Gordon Hayward, we already have Gordon Hayward. I know Derek Favors is in the last year of his deal there. Love those expiring contracts. Love the idea of a big coming here. Maybe they do ship Derek Favors here in exchange for... Something back from the Celtics. Even Kelly Olenek, and that's a layer we didn't talk about, is being rumored with the Hawks, with the Pacers, with the Jazz. He's an unrestricted free agent at this point, so he doesn't have to cooperate with any of this. But if the Jazz want him, the Celtics could theoretically package maybe Crowder and Olynyk out to Utah. When we're getting rid of Olynyk anyway... And get back Ronnie Hood and Derek Favors. I'd be I'd be in full favor of that. I'm a big fan of Hood as a scoring wing on the bench. He's not quite a veteran yet, but he's been in the league for quite a few years now. Uh, Favors. Some injury issues the last few years; he's kind of fallen out of that rotation in Utah. But he was known as one of the better bigs in the league a few years ago. He rebounds decently. He he could be that stopgap center they kind of saw in Amir Johnson.
1: I I think Hood is a potential option going down that road. Uh, Keep in mind that we the whole point is that we need to send out more salary than we're taking. Capra, Bader's season on expiring contract, but he's making twelve million dollars. Is more than any of. He costs more than any of the guys that we're talking about giving up. So it has. Uh- it negates the purpose of what we're trying to do to clear the cap yeah, room. Yeah, get-
0: in that scenario, you probably have to trade multiple players out to Utah. Maybe the fact that you're getting Hood back could send Avery Bradley out there as well. Maybe you ship two of those three guys we're talking about out to get a greater total return. Kevin O'Connor talked about this this morning too, is that notion that if you package several of these guys, you could actually make this a good return for Boston. And like you've talked about many times now, You don't want this to just be a dump. The idea of dumping Avery Bradley for nothing, dumping Jay Crowder for nothing, makes us all sick as Celtics fans, but it definitely makes Danny Ainge even more sick as an asset-obsessed man like he is. He's definitely trying to get creative behind the scenes out there. What do you ultimately think the resolution's going to be? Which one of those three guys will be gone, or will it be multiple guys in a bigger trade?
1: I think what's going to happen is that Danny Ainge is going to shop each one of those three guys around and see who can get the most value for, and you can make a case for any of them. I think Bradley is probably the best player of the three right now, Mm -hmm. but he's also an unrestricted free agent this year. Marcus Smart is a guy that still has a lot of upside. I know you love Smart. Uh, But also one thing that I think maybe gives him more trade value right now is that he'll be a restricted free agent. So if you're trading for Marcus Smart, you know that you have a legitimate chance of keeping him.
0: Yeah, no doubt. And the thing about Smart too is he's another one of those ball handlers for the team. Jay Crowder, not so much. Um, Avery Bradley, definitely not so much. We remember back in the day, Doc Rivers was trying to turn him into a full-scale ball handler, and that was a disaster. One of the more disastrous stretches in Bradley's career, probably, was that little point guard experiment they did with him. And the more ball handlers they have in this system, the better. I felt from the very beginning, Smart's untouchable. But like you said, if someone out there throws something crazy at us for him, wouldn't it be... Totally adverse to it. We'll see what the offers are. That's probably why Ainge is hanging him out there a little bit in general, is just to see what the price tag is on him on the open market right now. So we'll probably see this settled in the next 24 hours. Perhaps maybe before this show comes out, this could be settled. Um, the latest from Mark Murphy, of the Herald, is that they are engaged in signing trade talks right now with the Utah Jazz. So that might be the route they go if they can get enough back from Utah and we'll take it from there next week. We'll see who's with us here on this next show. We'll break all down all those moves when we have a little more clarity on who the Celtics roster is. And before we go, I've got to tell you about a cool feature of the Banners broadcast that you don't have on any other Celtics show on the Internet. We have a voicemail number for you on this show. So you can call us all week long before next week's show, which we record on Tuesday. And you can leave us a voicemail, give us your hot takes, give us your questions, give us anything you want to send that the Banners Broadcast, and we will break it down, we'll play it on the air, we'll throw you out there for the Celtics Nation to take a bite of. That's 978-595-1744, 978-595-1744 is the voicemail number of the Banners Broadcast, my Co-host today is Sean Penny. Sean, tell them where they can find you on Twitter.
1: Uh you can find me at SPenny eighty three. That's S-P-E-N-N-E-Y-83.
0: Yeah, so follow Sean. He's got the Red Sox covered. He's got the Celtics covered. So he's in two places at the same time, which is very cool. Thanks, Sean, for being with us today. And we will be back next week with more of our glorious cast on the Celtics blog. Hopefully maybe two names we can get out there and do another big roundtable next week. Sean saved us tonight, so shout out to him. We'll see you next week, guys. Peace. Thanks a lot. Reunion Arena
1: in Dallas, where the Mavs and Lakers are playing tonight, was built in 1980. Now, you couldn't ask for a better facility. It's easily accessible, has all the comforts of a theater, and there isn't a bad seat in the house. But for some reason, there are those who prefer the Boston Garden, mostly those who wear Celtic green.
0: What is so special about the Boston Garden other than the fact that it's 1,000 years old? Let's take a look. First of all, a garden, it's not. It's a train station, really. One flight up and you're on the fabled parquet floor. Now, before you get all misty-eyed about the parquet, take a closer look.